God is the God of the universe. God is the God of everybody. And that is what John was referring to when he said that the one that does not love does not know God. But the confidence that you must have in the word of God from within, that deep assurance, heaven is a state of happiness which comes as a result of living a useful life. The heavenly pursuit is usefulness. The heavenly pursuit is love. The wisdom of God, it is universal. It is universal because it does not belong to a certain sect. So the aim is for us to appreciate the nature of the Christian life in terms of how it is built upon personal revelation. Amen. This is going to be very important and also move on to how the calling that we each have in Christ Jesus is also founded on personal revelation. Hallelujah. Yeah, so that is the angle that we are looking at this thing from. So that even though we meet as a group like this, okay, it is good that we find comfort in the fact that we are not alone in our pursuit. But again, the word pursuit, you see, if you are pursuing something, then you can find comfort in a group of people who are also pursuing similar things. You get it? So that is how group is formed. Group is formed based on individual pursuits and how the individual pursuits align. So when we find that our pursuits align, then we form a group so that the group will help us with our pursuits. Please do you understand that. Yeah, we don't just form a group. So if you join a group and you are in the group, maybe you enjoy the fact that there is a group then you don't understand what is going on. A group has to do with the alignment of individual pursuits. That is how come we form ourselves into groups. So as we are a church like this, whatever we are as a group is born out of what we are as individuals. So in as much as the group is important, the individual pursuit is what makes the group. The assumption is that as we are a church, we are all looking for God individually. But it is possible that we may not be looking for God, but we'll still be found in the group. And that would affect how the group will operate and how the group will grow. If the group will grow, then the individual members must be honest. It is like when we want to push a car that is stuck and you find that we are all holding the car and we are pushing, but you can notice that a few people are just touching the car. You get it? So even though five people are pushing the car, it's just two that are really causing the car to move. The rest are just appearing to push the car. So if in a group we find that some people are not aligned to the course that the group is pursuing, um, it weighs the group down because it, that kind of deception is costly. It's costly because when the members of the group look at themselves, they have an assumption which is not born out of fallacy. It's actually genuine assumption. Because if you are there, like the car, if you are there, you are touching the car, I should assume that you are going to push the car, isn't it? Yeah, so now 
it means that quickly I make a calculation in my head that if I contribute my part, which is one out of five, the car will move. Let's say we are five. You get it. Meanwhile, three people are not pushing the car. So it brings some form of confusion because then when we are together, the members of the group will assume that we are all trying to bring out something. Then we find that, okay, there are individuals amongst us who are not that interested in the cause of the group. So by the time the members of the group actually wake up that they are two, not five, you see, they wake up that they are two, not five, time would have been wasted. So when I visited the Sian branch, I spent quite some time trying to convince anybody that doesn't like God not to come back, you see. And on the face value, it's as if, hey, you don't want people to be around, but I don't like that kind of thing where I see that we are four and we are about to move. We are about to tilt in a certain direction. And I only realized that we are two. Out of the four, we are two. Well, it's four people that have done it. So you walk away first. And if you walk away, you stand a chance uh, for the future because then you can always return. But if you stay with your heart after other things other than what the group represents, you become hardened towards the cause of the group because you require that to still remain in the group. Like, for instance, you're here, if you are not willing to follow the word of God, you require a certain hardness of heart to continue to remain here you will have to despise to an extent what is being taught and the one that is teaching you to continue to remain here. And the more you despise it, the more it becomes difficult for you to be converted by the same word. You get it. So then you walk away so that you don't stand the chance of despising some of these things. So that's what I was encouraging them. Because it's better than in the group to realize that you are two. So that if you are two, you need okay, is the two of us that is left. You understand that? So then we are the ones going to function. But if you are many and nobody is really focused on what the group should represent, then it's a waste of time. And this is that's the nature of the kind of church that we have around. We have churches. We have people in churches in their numbers. Okay? And the assumption is that if all these people are returning from church, then Ghana is in trouble, right? Then we are going to flood the nation with the goodness of the Lord, right? Well, we leave church on Sunday. So Monday, we go into the world. It's going to be an avalanche. It's going to be a tsunami of God's goodness, right? The spirit of the Lord is going to flow. What do you think? But, <laughs> you see, so now that's the point. So if the individual pursuits are not in place, the group becomes a deception. And even the strength of the group is deceiving. Because then you see a group of people, you assume that this is our strength. But there's no strength there at all because the individuals are not really genuinely pursuing what it is that they need to pursue. Hallelujah. So even though we do Christianity together, because it's necessary that we do it together, because then together we'll be able to help ourselves. But the individual aspect ought to be established first. If the individual aspect is established, then the fact that we are together makes sense. Other than that, it doesn't make sense. So today, uh, for this period, I would like to focus on the individual part, okay? Not throwing away 
the together part. That's why I spent time to explain how it works. So you don't say that oh, I'm trying to say that oh, it's the individual that matters. We collectively we matter, but it's like being unequally yoked with somebody. Okay, you are joined to somebody. You are, you are going left. The person is going right, but you are joined together. You are in trouble. Is that not the case? Or marrying somebody that is totally going somewhere else. You get it. Like many people grab on campus, those of you who went to university, you grab on campus, then you finish and you discover that, oh, sir, your girl is going to do her master's and a PhD in Germany. Then you are going to stay in and do working at some insurance company. <laughs> but when you were in school, because the school kept you in one environment, such differences did not show, isn't it? It didn't show you. It didn't become obvious to you that this person is going in a totally different direction. Some even realize that the person they are with, it is his dream to live outside the country and not return. They understand that. So then you get that crossroad, whether to go and join, be with them there, or to not go. And this ends the relationship. If you knew, you would have ended it early. You don't waste your time, right? Yeah, so now that's what happens. If two people are going in different directions, it's a waste of time. And that's the same with being in a group where we are not after the same things. Hallelujah. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, the main thing that we deal with is the Word of God, isn't it? It's the Word of God, the knowledge of the Word of God. Now, it is not the knowledge of the Word of God per se that makes the Christian, but we deal with the Word of God. Amen. Now, this knowledge of the Word of God that we deal with, okay, there are two sides to it. The normal side that everybody becomes acquainted with, provided you are in church, is the part where you hear the word of God with your physical senses. As I'm speaking to you now, the word of God, you hear me with your ears, isn't it? Now, that kind of hearing, we are all hearing it. We are all hearing the word of God. We get to know doctrine. We get to know what the word of God teaches us, how we should live our lives. That happens with all of us, isn't it? But what truly makes us Christian, what truly makes us Christian is not this kind of knowledge. There is another kind of knowledge of the same word of God. There's a certain kind of understanding. For instance, this first knowledge that I'm talking about, you can use it to form an understanding so that when you need to explain a few things, you can explain it. You can teach people some one or two things. You can. So that knowledge forms an understanding. But that because that knowledge is from the external, that understanding that you are formed, even though it is accurate, it is still external. Hallelujah. But there is another knowledge and therefore another understanding that is not from the external. That is not through the external senses. It is spiritual. Hallelujah. Now that spiritual knowledge is what makes a Christian a Christian. Hallelujah. It is spiritual knowledge that makes a Christian a Christian. Not external, natural knowledge. Now, I'm calling it external because it's coming from the senses. I'm calling it natural because it's coming through the natural senses. You understand that? So you can know the word of God. You can know how a person might be saved. You can know that God is one, not three. You can know all the things that you need to know. But that kind of knowledge is in the senses. Is that okay? And that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't produce faith. If it will produce faith, the faith that it will produce is, is called historical faith or faith that is based on hearsay. Why? Because then whatever you hear or you learn through the senses is never going to be first-hand information. 
when it comes to spirituality, whatever you get to know through the senses will never be first-hand information. For what you are listening to, I'm teaching you, right? Yeah, so if you're going to know it, I'll be the one to teach you. If you read it from the Bible, somebody wrote the Bible. If you read it in a book, somebody wrote the book. Hallelujah. If you read it on the net, somebody wrote it there. Whatever information that is true, that is supposed to be the word of God, that you will encounter from the external, it is never going to be a first-hand experience. It is always going to be someone else telling you. It is never going to be first-hand experience. It is always going to be someone else telling you. It is like then someone is describing to you something you do not know or something you have not encountered. It's like maybe you have not met me before, right? And then you meet somebody who has met me before or who claims, now important, who claims to have met me before and is trying to describe me to you. You understand that? Now, it means that you are going to have to trust the one that is describing me and is saying that he has met me before. Please understand that. For example, the Bible that is there, it is men that wrote it. The men say that they were inspired by God. It is not God who told you that the men were inspired by him. It is the men that say they were inspired by God. I want you to understand this. It is not God did not appear to you to tell you that the men that wrote the Bible were inspired by him. It is the men themselves that say, this thing that I'm writing down, this thing that we are saying, we, we are not saying it by our own intelligence. We are not cooking anything up. They came and said, God appeared to them. They came and said, God came to us in a vision. And where this scripture is coming from, Paul said that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He was explaining to them that he was going to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him. He was the one that saw him and heard him give him commandment and came back. So it is Paul who is telling us that he met Jesus. We were not there. Please understand that. We were not there. When you take the book of Matthew to read, we say it is the account of Matthew. Matthew was with Jesus, right? But how do you know? Were you there? You are not there, right? So if you are going to read the book of Matthew, whatever is in it, you are going to have to trust in man one way or the other. Whatever encounter with truth that you have in the senses, you are going to have to maintain some level of confidence in another man. It will never be first-hand information. I'm repeating this because I want you to try and see if there's a first-hand information from the senses, because you will not find. So maybe you can check. You will not find any information that you have in the senses in terms of um, truth. It is always going to be second-hand information. Hallelujah. It's always going to be like that. Every truth about God, everything that you know about spirituality, that is from the senses, is not first-hand. It's never going to be first-hand. Now, if it is not first-hand, then it means that your knowledge of that truth will never be complete. Because every human being has a test kit to confirm whether something is really true. Now, the test kit will involve your faculty that deals with the external, which is your senses. But the test kit does not involve only that one. So, for instance, if we want to check whether something is genuine, we take it through a series of tests. We want to check whether what we are holding is indeed gold, right? So they said gold or they said diamond. 
You want to check whether it is diamond. Maybe there are five steps that you need to take. I don't know. Maybe there are five steps that you need to take that diamond through. Now, they may say, that, okay, then the steps are of different levels. There are some levels that if the diamond passes that level, even though it has passed, let's say level one, two, three, four, five, okay? So the fifth level is the highest level. The level one is the lowest level. It is possible that what you are holding can pass level one, right? But it will still not be diamond. Do you understand that? It's possible that it can pass. It means if it passes level one, it must pass level two. Then it must pass level three. It must pass level four. Then it must pass level five. So, you know, we have a test kit to check whether the thing is diamond or not. And it's not just one thing it must pass. In order for something to be true to you and to form your conviction, the test kit for every human being, even though it involves hearing the thing with your external, hearing it with your external is the lowest test. It means that even you, you know, that even though you have heard something and it is called true, you are never convinced of it. You can tell yourself that you'll be convinced of it, but you are not. And the proof that you are not is in the face of challenges, adversity. That is when the fact that you don't believe in God shows. Meanwhile, you have heard about God, right? You have heard about his way. You have heard that God loves you, right? And you can tell yourself that God loves you. But if the God loves you has only passed the number one test, which is to hear it with your senses, that test is not enough. So you, as a human, you yourself, you are not convinced as you sit there. And at times you can tell yourself that you are convinced that God loves you. But in the face of challenge, you will know that you don't believe God loves you, even though you have heard that God loves you. So one thing about knowing truth only in the external is that even though you know the truth, your challenges still remain. You see? Even though you know the truth, your fear still remains. Even though you know the truth, you still doubt. Your doubt still remains. It means that you know the truth only in the external. So that truth itself, it has not passed all the tests for it to become genuine truth for you to bank your life on it. It has not. It has only passed one test, which is that you heard it in the external. And that test, we can't trust it totally. That test, we can't trust it totally. We can't trust it totally. And you yourself are saying, Mommy, you can't trust it. You know, you can say you can, but you can't. You didn't build your system. You see? So your system is not under your control alone. Your system is not under your control alone. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's a way that your system was built to function. You can't change it. And if your system was built to believe something, only when it has through a series of confirmatory tests, you cannot use just one test to make you believe. You are not made to have faith based on external knowledge. So you can't have faith based on that. You can't have conviction. You can't form conviction based on external knowledge, which is to hear the truth that I'm telling you. So people who faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, they don't understand that it is the beginning of the journey of faith. It is not that the faith has come. In other words, if somebody must have faith, they must be taught the truth, right? But to be taught the truth or to learn the truth is not what produces the faith. It's what gives you the chance to go on to have faith. And that's what the scripture says. That's the beginning of the faith. That's how faith comes. You were not made to have faith by hearing in the external. It is not possible. I've explained to you, hearing the external is like something being described to you that you were not there. You have to trust the one that described it to you. And the interesting thing is that you yourself, you know that if that is the case, then you can't fully rely on that testimony. Everybody knows. 
And it is not the time that you are being told that it will come up. It is when that truth that you were told by somebody is challenged. That is when it occurs to you that you cannot rely on the testimony of someone. You can't be sure. When that truth has not been challenged, you are there thinking you believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What I'm teaching you, you may feel that it makes sense, right? But when it is challenged in the face of temptation, in the face of life's difficulties, you will discover that even though it made sense to you when I explained it to you, it is still not enough for you to bank your life on it. Like the whole scripture is lifted with the fact that God loves you, right? How many of us, in many cases, doubt that God loves us? Like we want to, in the face of time, I'm not sure when you say, I am so glad that my God. I say, in the face of challenges, how many of you doubt that God loves you? Yeah. But you know, right? You know in the Bible, it's there, right? Have you read it in the Bible? So why can't you, why is that that knowledge is not enough? Why is it that it's not enough? It's in the Bible. It's written there. That God loves you. Right? He cares about you, right? Why is it not enough? You've seen it. I'm telling you that if your knowledge is not enough to make you keep to that path, in other words, if it is not enough to dissolve the doubt, if it is not enough to remove the fear, then that knowledge is not proper knowledge. It is born out of hearsay. It is only external. It is the reason why a person can be saved by altar call. You see, that was, if you know many things, eh, if you understand how things work, some doctrine, you know that throw it away. Because as I preach to you and you hear me and say you have given your life to Christ, that hearing me that you say you have given your life to Christ, it can never be a truth that you can fully trust. I'm not saying you say you don't believe it. Too. No, you can say it makes sense and it's likely to be true, right? But just because another human being is telling you, it makes it something that you cannot totally believe. So you see people say, oh, Jesus, you are my Lord, right? But if Jesus is your Lord, it means that you should live your life in obedience to him, right? Yeah, that is when he's your Lord. So we say, oh, Jesus is our Lord, but we don't really believe he's our Lord. Because the knowledge that Jesus is Lord, it came to us through the senses. It came to us through the senses. Hallelujah. So you yourself as a human being, as you sit there, the truth that should make your life is such that when it comes through the senses, that truth will never be enough. You also can't accept it. You can't accept it. But if I tell you a vision that I had, and all that you have in that, pastor said he saw a vision, so let's all move in this direction. A true difficult time, and you sit down and say, hey, right? What if pastor saw wrongly? What if he misinterpreted the vision, right? Yeah. That question will be there because you have not encountered the truth for yourself. Hallelujah. The only way to have first-hand information of truth is through the Spirit. That is God, the revelation God gives you. Now you come face to face with that truth. Because truth is spirit. You see, if I meet truth, right, and I come to talk to you, I come telling you about truth when the truth is not there. So PK is truth. If I meet truth, I meet him in the spirit. Because that's where truth is. Truth is encountered in the spirit. So it is through my spiritual senses that I made contact with truth. When I come talking to you about truth, I speak to you about truth in the external. So you will hear about this same truth 
with your fiscal ears. When I made contact with the truth, it wasn't with my fiscal ears. It was with my spirit. Do you see? If another person teaches you truth, that encounter with truth is not enough. You have not really met truth. You have heard about truth. When you meet truth, is different. Now, because the truth is a spirit, you can't meet truth in the fiscal. So you can't meet truth with your fiscal ear. That's like my thing. Anytime you hear truth with your fiscal, know that this is hearsay. It's always hearsay. That's how you, you will interpret it. That's how your person will interpret it. It's always hearsay. When you meet truth in the spirit, it's no more hearsay because you have met the Lord Himself. Please understand that. Now, that encounter is never going to be secondary. Like that's why the Bible says in that day, no one shall teach his neighbor that he should know the Lord. But from the least to the greatest, they shall know me. You see? Now, it's not the knowledge that comes through the external, but that with that one, always you need to be taught. It is the internal knowledge that means that the person himself or herself makes contact with the truth. That contact with the truth is what makes a person a Christian. It is that contact with the truth. So the quality of your Christian life, huh? the quality of your Christian life is determined by the contact, your encounter with truth in the spirit. If we want to measure whether you have Christianity inside you, what we will find that says that you have Christianity inside you, it's not that you have heard the word of God. It is that you have made contact with truth itself in the spirit. Because that's what forms faith. See, this contact in the spirit is undeniable. It's like what Baumia said, you and I were not there, but you were there. The one that made the contact was there, right? But if I perceive something in the spirit, I don't care about you. I've seen it. But you didn't see it. So the level of faith that I will have with what I have picked in the spirit, it will be different from yours. What you have is that I tell you that I perceive something, right? Now, me telling you means that you are in the, we are in the external now. It's in the material now. And once it is, it is in the material, you can't have faith. You will only know that something like that is there, but you know it in your senses, and it will be stored in your memory alone. But the one that had that encounter in the spirit has the actual knowledge of it. Has the actual knowledge of it. And that's Christianity. So, now, I've given you one test. To know that your knowledge of the Lord or the things of God is in the external alone, you will find that that knowledge is there, but your challenges still remain. Your challenges with evil, your challenges with um, doubt, fear, all that, they remain in the face of that knowledge, right? Secondly, you have to remind yourself as to why you believe that that thing that is in your head is true. So in the face of challenges, you have to remember the explanations that make that true. Now, I'm giving you two things you use to check whether your truth that you say you have is actually truth that makes you a Christian or is truth that only gives you the possibility of being a Christian. When it is true that only gives you a possibility of being a Christian, that, that truth is in the external. Now, the sign that your truth is in the external is that in the face of life's issues and life situations, that truth is unable to remove your challenges. Now, your challenge is not that you don't have money. Your challenge is how you feel about the fact that you don't have money. Listen, that's your challenge. Your challenge is not that you don't have money. Your challenge is not that you don't have a job. Your challenge is how you feel about the fact that you don't have a job. What you think about it. Your feelings about these are the real things that make your challenge. 
Your challenge is not that somebody doesn't like you. Your challenge is how you understand and feel about the fact that the person doesn't like you. So you can have the word of God that teaches you that you should forgive, right? But all forgiveness is what is in your heart. So you see this word that says forgive, but it's all forgiveness that is there, right? It's a sign that your knowledge of the word of God is in the external. Fear not. How many times is fear not in the Bible? But you are still afraid, right? Uh-huh. In the face of life challenges, your problem is that you are afraid. Now, with the knowledge that you should not fear, God is with you. And you find that when you sing such a song, in the moment that you are singing that song, it's as if your fear goes. But when you finish, your fear returns. It means that your fear is there. By singing the song, just takes your mind off. It's like going to drink, call, and waking up in the morning and realizing that, oh, your situation is the same, right? So even though you think in singing a song, you really had faith. You didn't have faith. It was just that you are not meant to focus on two things at the same time. You understand that? So if you shift focus to sing the song, your focus on your problem is not there. You but the thing about the song is that it has an end. So you finish singing the song, then you return to your problem. You understand that? But when you have proper truth, your problem, the fear is not there. It's not there again. It's not that you say, go away, go away. No, it's not there. Because that light does not allow the darkness that the fear has to dwell. Because light is there. When light is there, darkness can't dwell. So the fear goes away. Please understand that. You can't find the fear. You don't have to say, hey, I believe, I believe, I believe. Then for the fear to stay away. No, when you are walking about, the fear can't come. Because you have made spiritual contact with the truth. Please, you understand that? You can check. So, with all these truth that I know, how do I really feel? Like, how do I really think in the face of life's challenges? Then you know that, okay, then your truth is in the natural alone. Then if your truth is in the natural, it doesn't make you a Christian. It's also not bad, but it helps you to know that then you have to migrate. Then when your truth is something that you must remind yourself of. So, in life, you have to tell, uh, we're taught that when somebody do this, do this and do this and do this. And this is the, the reason behind it. So you have to remember the reasonings and the arguments behind uh, the truth that you know before you can be strong again in those truths. Does it make sense? So you have to remember, hey, this and this and this, A, B, C. Ah, okay, then C, D, E, F. Wow, okay, uh-huh. So when you tie A and B and C, then the conclusion is, aha, uh-huh, now I'm convinced again. Right? Or when you are there, you are not saying, oh, Pastor, explain this one to me, right? Then Pastor explains. It's a ha, now I'm set. Now that aha, I'm set, you are not set. It means that your knowledge is in the senses. Hallelujah. So these are the two tests you test. Spiritual knowledge. When spiritual knowledge is there, your challenge in life goes away. It's not there again. Because your challenge in life, eh, the feeling that makes you fear is founded on a certain falsehood. It's found on a certain falsehood. That falsehood is entrenched deep in your heart, in a deeper place than this, your truth that you heard in the senses. Remember, I said that there are five levels. Let's see. There are five levels. So the lowest level no, is the hearing of the truth in your mind. But we believe things beyond what we have heard with our physical ears. Do you understand that? We have convictions, strong convictions about what is false. We have convictions about our fear. What is making you fear? It is not because you have just heard something with your physical ears. You have a deeper feeling about certain truth that makes you fear. If you now make spiritual contact with truth, that truth displaces that deep-seated conviction that makes you fear, that makes you doubt. That truth displaces it. So that your challenge does not remain. 
Now, this is not a myth. This is reality. That is why all the things, you check the things that are written about the Christian in the scriptures, then you'll understand what I'm saying is true. Jesus said that if you continue in my word, that's the word you have heard in your external, huh? then are ye my disciples indeed, right? Then ye shall do what? Know the truth. And the truth shall do what? Set you free. That knowledge of the truth is not in the senses. If it were in the senses, what Jesus was saying, then they should, because actually many of the Jews believed on him. What did they believe? They believed in the external word, the word that they heard with their physical senses. That's what they believed. But that does not produce faith, and that does not set a man free. That's what I'm saying, that then if you have truth and you are still not free, it means that your truth is in the senses. If you even feel like you have made spiritual contact with truth, but you are not free, then you didn't make spiritual contact with truth. Because once you make spiritual contact with truth, you are free. Then you are free. Now, the Christian is not the one that has heard a lot of truth and says they believe. The Christian is the one that has made some amount of contact with the truth in the spirit. And you measure how far you have come in your Christian work by the, I don't know if I should say, amount of contact you have had with truth in the spirit. So when you also hear truth in the spirit, your challenge goes away. And truth in the spirit too does not require a lot of explanation. Do you know? Psalm 36, verse 8. Truth in the spirit does not require a lot of explanation. You see, when people do explain this and defend this and what about this one, it means that what they are doing is that they are gathering truth in the sense. It's not bad, please. It's not bad. Well, that's where we start from. Do you get it? But the explanations you have issued push you into a certain life that will allow you to make contact with truth in the spirit. When you make truth in, uh, like somebody can appear and say, hey, we, hey, I was sharing with the Sianni people about Da Vinci Code, right? Those who Da Vinci Code came, hey, they said Jesus didn't uh, really die and Charlie Christianity. You see, Jesus did they resurrect. What is your proof that Jesus resurrected? Because you read it in the Bible? Now you don't believe. That's my point. The only proof you have that Jesus resurrected is in the fact that you have met him in the spirit. Christianity is, is, is about encounter. So I don't think that Jesus is standing. If you think that, like, for instance, I told you that you have met him in the spirit, it means that you had the vision Jesus was standing before you. That vision that Jesus was standing is still to meet him in the natural. You see, when you have a vision and Jesus is standing before you, that thing you see is blocking your view. It is the meaning of what you see that is really the truth. So, for instance, like in Revelation, you say, oh, his eye is like fire, and, and you say, oh, fire, wow, fire. No, the fire signifies something, and that is the truth. Please understand. Some people say, oh, I saw Jesus, you envy them, right? No, it's not anything. It's still natural. It's the spirit of what they saw that is key. Hmm. So, a lot of people that actually say they see Jesus, it's the lowest, lowest, lowest angels or some of the spirits in the world of spirits that appear to them. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Anyway, so when I say you have met him, I'm talking about met him as the spirit of truth. Paul explained, he said that the Lord is that spirit. 
the Lord is that spirit. When you spoke about the spirit of the word and how that they are able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth the spirit, that's what giveth life. He said, the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? You shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Set you free. So you can't believe that Jesus resurrected because <laughs> you are dead. You are dead. If you believe that Jesus resurrected because you have read it in the Bible, like that's your test. There are other levels. If that is where your test reaches. This is not faith. It can be shaken. One quality about faith is that it cannot be shaken. You see, like some people say, oh, you destroy their faith. You destroy their faith, right? Faith cannot be destroyed, though. So if you have something that can be destroyed, it wasn't faith. Like for instance, say, the man of God, what he has done, he has messed up. And because of that, he will destroy the faith of the people that follow him, right? If the people that followed him have faith, that faith will not be destroyed. But the problem is that the people that are following the man of God only have heard what he preaches and have not followed on to know the Lord. You see? So they don't have faith. Their faith is hearsay. And hearsay faith or historical faith, you must really have confidence in the one that is bringing the message. So if you lose confidence in the one that is bringing the message, the message dies. But if you follow on to know the Lord, the one that is bringing the message is irrelevant now. Because you have now known the truth beyond the person. You have now known the Lord himself. That's what the Bible says. Hosea chapter 6, right? Hosea chapter 6, I think verse 2. Ah, after two days, he will revive us. <laughs> after two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. So much to look at here. And we shall do what? Live in his sight. I'm sure we'll get time to talk about it, but I want you to look at the next verse. So then shall we know if we follow on to do what? Know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. What does it mean? His going forth is prepared as the morning. Morning is what? The dawn, right? When the sun begins to appear, right? And we must look at morning in terms of what precedes it. And that is the evening, right? The evening time is a time of struggle with our evils or the time when we are in evil. The morning coming in means that we have triumphed, right? And we struggle with evil when we have the word of God in the letter that we must apply. But when we succeed with the word of God, we now are proving to make contact with the word in spirit. Ah, I hope you can see it. But I'm sure we will look at it. Okay. So if I then come and say that, hey, I've seen some ancient thing that Jesus the devil is alright. You're one of those people who say, hey, don't read this thing, no, it will destroy your faith. Don't read that. <laughs> you know what? Da Vinci thing came and they said down brown whatever. I took it and started reading. I actually lost interest then. I didn't read again. Because I wanted to see what this thing is. You see, so some of us, our belief, we have to hide with it. Do you see? If we come into the light with it, that's it. If we come out and start saying it, some people have things that when they say to you, you run away. You become an atheist. You become an atheist. Yeah. You become an atheist. You say, we are not even sure of this Jesus. But if you have met Jesus in the heart, 
in terms of how he's able to transform the heart of a man, if you have perceived truth in the spirit, that is your confirmation that Jesus has risen. I know that it may not be enough for some of us. It is because you have not experienced that. So you think that to read it in the Bible that Jesus is risen is even stronger than to have the spiritual encounter with truth. But when you encounter truth, you say, no, you didn't believe before. It was just holding you, right? Like what Peter said, so we have this small light. It's like a small light in a dark place. We hold on to it until the day uh, arises, right? And the day star dawns in our hearts. Hmm? See, I came to put some things before us so that we will understand what is really going on and not assume that we are on a path when we are not on that path. Not assume that we believe in God when we don't. Because if life challenges does not prove to us that we don't believe in God, when we die, judgment will prove to us that we don't believe in God. So that time is coming. That time is coming. All the truth we have amassed if life challenges does not show us that we are just talking big, we are just talking. So I had a friend, I met him at Indies all those days on campus. He was, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm, I'm rich, I'm rich. See, everybody can say, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, right? Life challenges. Pastor Kampa was telling me about a friend here. He said, I'm the healed of God, I'm the healed. Then later they discovered that he was not well and he seemed to be recovered. They checked in his back and there was anti-malaria medicine that he was taking quietly, underground, right? Yeah, because you can say things till you are faced with life challenge. That's when whether you believe it or not shows. Everybody actually feels that they believe something when they've not been challenged though. It actually feels like it. But you have to let life's issues show you that you don't believe, or if you believe, then you see that you believe. And normally, when life's issues show us, we don't want to believe that one. Because, like, hey, you don't want to believe. You have a reputation. But if your truth is known through what somebody has said, it is second hand. No conviction is born out of second hand information. It's true. It's true. I remember when I, I went to explain some of these things that we teach you to some men of God. And they were telling me, I'm off. I've gone away from the faith. And I was sitting there. Actually, I started crying. And I said, that, look, the problem is that it's too late. That's the problem. You see, the problem is not even that I should throw this away and come in. Because I even wish that I belong somewhere. You understand? I wish I belong somewhere. Who doesn't like to belong somewhere? Especially the, if the place is nice, right? If the place is not nice, as if you travel and leave Ghana, you never show that you, you are coming from there. You change your accent, you understand? But if the place is that you want to show that you are coming from there. I was talking to the main person, I don't know. The problem is that I know what I'm saying. If I didn't know, you can talk me out of it, but I know. So it goes beyond... What should I do? Like, what should I do? I know this thing. I see the fallacy in what you are saying. Not because I have many things to debunk with you. You see, when you teach people in the external, that's what a lot of explanation is required. So all the explanation is for those people in the external. Right? 
And that's how we all go. We, we all must get explanation and details and things, debunking all those things in the external. But when we make contact with the truth itself, you know what the Bible says? Let's go to some thesis. It said, in thy light we shall see. Like I said, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of their house. Thou shalt make them to drink of the rivers of what? Thy pleasures. Now, this is the person that comes into contact with truth in their spirit. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light we shall see light. How do you see light in light? That's the question. We say you are seeing truth in its own light. See, truth in its own light, it can sound like it's nice, but what does it mean, right? It's that kind of thing. That's it. It's a powerful statement, but what does it mean? It means that before, the truth was not seen in its light. Why? Because somebody will claim to know the truth and is telling you to your senses. If I speak truth to you, the truth that you have, its confirmation is not its light because its light is in the spirit. Its light is its knowledge. So what I'm telling you, there is a certain knowledge of it that should confirm it to you. You understand that? That knowledge, you can't have it in the physical or in the external with your physical senses. You can't have it. So you can have the knowledge of the truth, but you will not see the truth in its light. But when I meet the truth, like if he is this, the truth, if I meet him in the spirit, now I know him because I've met him. That is to know truth in its own light. So my conviction about this, I've encountered him. Do you understand that? That encounter means that the truth is true. If there is no encounter, what supports the truth is the many arguments. If there is encounter, you don't think about the argument. Why? Because the truth, it's like, it fills all the argument. How do you know I'm the one standing here? Did you take my ID card? Huh? Did you call Kumasi to see if I'm not there? Did you check that? How do you prove that I'm here? It's because I'm here. The other side, you see me. Do you get it? That is a proof. If I'm not here, Right, and they are saying something about me, then you need a lot of explanation. Do you understand that? But once I stand here and you see me for who I am, all the other things that support my being who I am, they all come together in your mind because you see me. Huh. In thy light we shall see light. Okay. Now, the question is, when you know truth, how do you know that it is true? Okay, when you know truth, you say it's truth. How do you know that it is true? There must be a confirmation, right, for you as a person, so that you'll be sure that the truth, the truth that you have heard, is actually true. You get it? That confirmation is light, because light has the ability to reveal. Right now, when your spiritual eyes are opened. You see in light. When your spiritual eyes are opened, you see in light. Remember Paul told them that he prays for them, that God will give them the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation. The eyes of the understanding flooded with what? Light. So this is how you should see it. When your spiritual eyes are not open to see truth, okay, that light that allows you to see is not there. Remember, if we turn off this light, we don't know what is here, right? If we turn up the light, we can't see anything. Is that the case? 
You're not being able to see truth in the spirit means that the light that has to be opened or has to be turned on for you to see, that light is off. You understand that? That light being turned on is also the same as your spiritual eyes being opened. If light is turned on, then it means that your eyes can see. If light is off, you are blind. So in the light, we shall see light. The first light is the opening of your spiritual eyes to see. And when your spiritual eyes now see, now you can know the truth itself. So that is the second light. In the light, you shall see light. That light you will see is truth. But it is seen through the opening of the spiritual eyes. Please understand that. And that helps you to make contact with the truth in the spirit. That kind of contact is beyond doubt. It's beyond doubt. And it is a contact that confirms everything that you have heard in the senses without you having to take a checklist and check. That encounter, that's why I say it flows into everything you have known. So it's like the missing link. It's like the living force. All the truth that you have learned is like it's dead inside your memory. The spiritual encounter is like it makes sense of all the things you have learned without you trying to recount them to make sense out of them. It's like the truth itself joins everything. Do you watch movies? Adventure, where they are doing, then they put something inside the door and then something moves and something moves and then you hear kikre, right? And then the door now opens. The knowledge of the truth is that when you put it there, you don't need to go through your mind to see, ah, Pastor even shared something three days ago. If God is three person, these are the four reasons why it's not true. So you have to go through your mind, reason one, reason two, reason three, right? When your eyes open, you say, God can only be one. Huh? All this reason one, reason two, reason three. Do you know where they came from? I didn't read a book with reason why reading through. It's me trying to explain to you in the senses what I've seen in the spirit. That's all. So, but you are learning it like this. And it's because you only have subjected yourself to the external. That's why the same thing about God is one person. I can teach you in different, different ways. It's just me trying to get you to see something with explanations. But when your eyes open, you also see the truth itself. Now, you too, you can take banana and use it to explain that God is one. Why? Because you, you see the light. So all other things that support it, it organizes everything. That's how we organize the information in our head. And you, you can't go through the laborious task of always having to. Hey, remember, you can't do that. You can't do that. Why do we believe that a person cannot be saved by faith alone? You go, pastor said that. Pastor said, that's why when you share your faith, they say you don't believe. It's your pastor who has brainwashed you. You see, I don't want that name. I didn't want it. Yeah, I laugh. Someone say you can be saved by faith alone. It's like in this day and age. <laughs> scripture. When you pull the scripture, light shines. You see the scripture. You see, there's a reason why some of the people that attack you, they attack you. At times you have to check. Why am I the one that they attack? Because I'm there. Nobody attacks me. I'm not debating with people here and there about anything. No. But they can corner you and they, they ask you, 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 you go into defensive mode. When you have not seen the truth in the spirit, you have to go into that defensive mode. Because you yourself, you are not sure of your faith. And you are convinced that if you can argue your way through, then it will confirm your faith. Do you see? So that's why you are afraid. 
You think something is being taken away from you. So if you know that this is what Christianity is, then you can now know what your target should be. And you can measure yourself where you are. Maybe we have to say, hey, we cannot call ourselves Christians yet. Or we can call ourselves Christians only a little bit. You see, there's more to go. There's more to go. There's more to go. Do you get my point? Well, this is practical. As you are listening to the word, now you can go and check. Yeah. Hey, do I have faith or do I not have faith? <laughs> you can check. It's not easy. See if you understand. That's why you see some people say they are always fighting to get somewhere in the Lord. And you look at them and wonder what is it that they, are, they know the reality. They know where they stand. And they want to get there quickly because life will come. Some of you don't know that life is about to happen to you. You don't know. You know the Bible says, if you turn away in the day of adversity or in the day of battle, then your strength is small. You see, that small strength is like knowing the truth in the external. That's small strength. 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 I have to probably try and explain how this encounter is like. Do you get it? Because maybe your imagination is... That's the thing about being natural or perceiving the natural. You use the natural things to try and imagine the spiritual encounter only to realize that it's not like that. You see? When I say encounter with truth, I do not mean a vision where God appears and says, my son, my son, right? This and this and this and this. No, that's what I'm talking about. There are many people who see visions and don't know the Lord. The realm of such visions is actually a very natural realm in the realm of the Spirit. You don't even need to know God to see visions for it to come to pass. And if you live life, you know that there are many people that see visions and dream dreams that come to pass and they don't even know God. It's just a natural gift. So such people like that, eh, normally, if they were to know God, they would become very prophetic in their knowledge of God. Do you understand that? So these are people, it's like becoming a fetish priest. Many fetish priests could easily have become prophets if they had started following the Lord, brother. You see? So it's like, whatever we, we are going to be in the Lord, we are made for, we are born with it. Do you understand that? It's a vessel. If your vessel is a big cup, right? A big, big, big cup, giant cup. That's your vessel. If you incline it to uh, portable water, you say you now are a container carrying portable water and you give portable water, right? But what if you, you incline it to dirty water? Then you become a giant jug that carries what? Dirty water. But you are still a jug. Now the jug is the vessel. And some have prophetic vessels. Just that some then incline it to demonic um, influence and through uh, demonic activity, you have the spirit of divination. You know, it's in the scriptures, the girl that had the spirit of divination. And those that incline to God become prophets. Please understand that. So there are people that can have visions and things, but they don't know God. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowing the truth in the spirit. Hallelujah. How do you know it? There is no format and there is no step. 
There are no three steps. You understand? You can't zoom into the spirit to know the truth in the spirit. Mm-hmm. I want to see how it works to you, infancy. What the mom? Well, far more into the Egypt. Except it is given to you, you can't take it. Oh, what is it? It's a door that only the Lord can open. But there are things that when we do, the Lord will open. So a man cannot reach into the sky and say, Lord, let me know the truth. A man can rather subject himself to the truth that he knows in the external. That's what we talk about. Obey the word of God. Turn away from evils. That's to apply the word of God to yourself as you know the truth in the external. If you do this, your eyes will begin to open. Now, what I've given to you is to let you see when that knowledge of the truth has come and when it hasn't come. So you can always check where you are. So you can check, oh, I say I know this truth in the spirit, but it is present with me, right? But my fear still exists. You say, I've heard from God about my situation. If you heard from God, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't let me be the one to tell you. You should tell yourself to. Now, if you really have heard from God, yeah, I shouldn't be like this. Because that truth that I've encountered in the spirit, it should remove my doubts. My doubt still remains. So I've not heard it. Maybe I've understood it a bit more, but still in the senses or in the natural or in the external. Hallelujah. Jesus trying to talk about this encounter with truth. He explained it to Nicodemus. He said, the wind bloweth where it listed, and you hear the sound thereof, but you don't know where it is going or where it is coming from. So is he that is born of the Spirit. To actually make encounter with truth in the spirit is to be born of that truth. So it's something that you see you are becoming which you cannot explain how it is becoming so. But you know that how to become so is that you must labor under the word of God that you have heard in the senses. If you find that you are not becoming so it means there is a problem with how you are laboring with the word of God. If you find that you're applying yourself to the word of God, you're turning away from evil, it's not leading you to a spiritual encounter with truth. So that your convictions are no more based on the things you know in the external, but based on this interior understanding and revelation where you don't need explanation. It is clear to you. It's that like your eyes are open. You can see. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us when he was opening the eyes of the blind. He opens your eyes. You can see now. Like Paul said, I have not seen nor ear heard. Neither has it entered into the thoughts of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. God has revealed it to us by what? His spirit. That's why I said, don't use the senses things to predict the spiritual things. Maybe when I describe this to you, you are waiting for me, so I'll tell you how to know truth in the spirit, right? I'm telling you how to know truth in the spirit. Eh? You can't jump laying down your life. You can't jump turning away from the evil. So you deal with that one, and God will step in. It is God alone that takes the hand of a man. Is what the Bible says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Right? Who shall stand in his holy place? That holy place, holy of holies, right? Holy, that's where in thy light we shall see light, right? Because in the holy of holies, the glory of the Lord is what lights up the place. In thy light we shall see light. In Hebrews, the Bible says, Jesus is the forerunner. He has gone into the Holy of Holies ahead of us. Means where do we also go? We also go through into the Holy of Holies, right? How did he enter the Holy of Holies? Through suffering. 
We are coming back from the purpose of suffering. So through the same suffering, we also now will ascend the hill of the Lord. And when we stand on his holy mountain, uh, we see truth in the light of truth. That is what we come to take hold of. That is what makes us. That's what it means to see the kingdom. That's what it means to see the kingdom. Except you be born of water and of the spirit, you shall not see the kingdom. That's what it means to see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not by ocular inspection. It's not by this physical eyes. Hallelujah. It's through the opening of the spiritual eyes. And when I say spiritual eyes, I'm not talking about this physical eyes beginning to see something you didn't see before. This thing is beyond this organ called eyes. It's beyond it. It is a knowing that forms your conviction. That is not because you heard it with your physical ears. It's an awareness you have. You see, Paul knew this, and Paul knew this is what makes a Christian. That's why he was praying for the church at Ephesus. That they will have the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of the understanding being flooded with light, so that they may know what is the hope of their calling. You think he has not preached it to them? You think he has not preached it to them? He has preached it to them. Why is he seeking that they will now know it? What kind of knowledge is it? Is it that they will know it with their ears? They know it's in their memory. So he has looking it down to them that you are being called to become this and become this, and then you become angels with God in heaven, you become messenger, but there's a way that you perceive this thing. It is beyond the fact that you've been taught. That you may know what is the hope of your calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This is something you must know. This is something you'll be told, right? But point is that your eyes, when your eyes open, you will know this one. And then there's another one. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us? Huh? Who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Well, there's a certain power. But that power is in the spirit. It's a certain knowledge that brings you to contact with that power. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. This is what it means to be Christian. Not that you have heard many doctrines. And so we, we, what we believe is right. What we believe is right. What we believe is right. What does that mean? Have you proven it? Have you seen it in the spirit? Have you seen it in its own light? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? When you see it, you become one with it. That's why you are. Anybody that has perceived truth in the spirit is a weapon in the hand of God. What's my point? Your liturgy and your just being there, right? It's a sign. You don't know God. That's my message. You may take offense. You say, me, why, why are you telling me? I'm the one preaching to you. I'm not supposed to add myself. You understand that? If God sends you to preach, you can tell me that I don't know God. But I'm telling you. That being lethargic and being there without fruits to show and not being alive with the things you have heard is a sign that you don't know God. You can admit it now, right? Or you can wait judgment, it will be shown to you. You can't hide, it will be shown to you. So just be honest with yourself.
So it can be deemed a proper journey. You can take some of the things we take. This is what you must do as a Christian. You can now take it seriously. If it is in the hand of the Lord to open the door, then you know that you can't force yourself into the spiritual knowledge of truth, except you go through the right path. Because if the Lord is the one that opens the door, then you follow his commandments together. If you follow his commandments, it means that the door will be open to you. Isn't that the case? Yeah. That spiritual encounter, that's what makes a Christian a Christian. And the early Christians, that's what they were looking forward to. That's what the Bible calls the hope that is set before us. This is what Paul was preaching, that Christ in you, this Christ in you is the spiritual revelation of the truth. And that is the hope of glory. That's why they were pushing. Said, because of it, we have fled for refuge to lay hold of what? The hope that is set before us. You know how you behave when you flee for refuge? You are running from something. And that's how we deal when we obey God and we turn away from evil. We are trying to lay hold of this hope that is set before us. Hallelujah. Yeah. And let every man or woman examine himself or herself where they are in terms of his or her ability to lay hold. Like what Paul told him, fight the good fight of it. Lay hold. See, to perceive this truth is to lay hold of eternal life. <laughs> Because he said it. Paul said it in, I think, Ephesians chapter 3. That you may know what is the length and the breadth and the depth. eh? And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. But you're told, Jesus asked me, yes, I know. But there's a knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That one is what allows you to be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, the Christian is the vessel in whom the Lord dwells. We see it in Paul talking to Timothy. If a vessel shall purge himself, shall be used as a vessel of honor, right? Fit for the master's use. So being filled with God. And you know how it happens. Now you may know the love of Christ. You know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. This is what we kill ourselves for. That I may know him. Eh? The power of his resurrection. That I may know. This is what Paul was saying. That I may, this was what Paul's, this Christianity, this, he was pursuing a higher knowledge of God. When I say higher, it's not like a door sooner thing. Higher means that it breaks away and leaves this earthly realm. It is a superior knowledge because it comes from a superior realm. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, it has been explained. He's even talking about it, right? Oh, Jesus resurrected. There's a certain power that made him resurrect. The apostle said, I may know him. And if you check before, he's talking about the things he has to let go so that he may know him. So we flee to lay hold of this. Hallelujah. That's Christianity. So what are you laying hold of? The thing about Christianity, if what you have in Christianity is for your head to be pumped with information upon information, information upon information, and that's where your Christianity ends, you will grow tired of it, number one. You will grow arrogant 
because you think you know the Lord, but you don't. And eventually you walk away. So for instance, as we sit here, I can predict our end. If we don't follow on to know the Lord, we will walk away. We will walk away. We will feel like we know what is to be known. Can you imagine that? We will feel that way. Pastor, Pastor, won't you preach a different thing? Right? Because, you know, where do you know it is in your head, in your memory? But the one that is knowing these things in the spirit cannot become tired of hearing these things even the more. That is when you are even sitting in church, right? And you are operating on two levels. Where the pastor preaching, you are hearing, but God is also talking to you in the same message. Eh? So you are picking. Oh. But you see, when all that you know is you get tired of knowledge that is in the senses. You get tired of it. You conclude you know everything. Why is it being repeated to you? You know. It irritates you to know it, to hear it again. But when you know knowledge in the spirit, you always want to hear it again. Sometimes you even then can use this to check yourself. Then you go out Why? Because knowledge puffs up. When knowledge is alone, without it being implemented and affecting our lives, for us to enter into the spirit of it. It's not spiritual knowledge that puffs up. Your spiritual knowledge is born out of charity or love. The normal external knowledge, it puffs up. Some of you, this knowledge can puff you up, you run away. And when you run away, you think you are not missing anything. Do you see? So I put it, wait, those who are, they will be missing. I tell them, no. You, you don't understand the enemy's work. They won't miss anything. Enemies on your case, you you think you'll be sitting, hey, I've missed I've missed hearing the powerful message. I've missed hearing the powerful message. Then you'll be in church. No, you will not be allowed to miss it. Or you will not be allowed to think that you are losing anything by not coming. Because you know you feel you get the gist of it. You see, then one day when you are tired of wondering, when you come back, you say, Hey, you have missed something. I was talking to some people, and that's the listen. They told that they got the message, but they don't. They don't get it. So if you allow yourself, this is what I can predict it. It will happen. Oh, it will happen. No, it will happen. It's called Peter when he stands alone without his brethren, James and John. He will betray Jesus before the cock. Thrice. It will happen. When you just know truth in your senses, is Peter separated? You betray the Lord. You give it up. Because it doesn't enter your heart. So you give it up. The challenge has to just be strong enough. Right? You, be, you, you give it up. And you find that it's like that. You find the number of times you forgo the truth you know and apply another principle. And then when you finish, you return to take up the truth and you start working. When life becomes challenging, you throw the truth away, you apply other principles and you come back. That's not your faith. Your faith is the one you, you, you are implementing in the face of life challenge. That's when 
what you rely on. What you rely on is your faith. You see. So you see that you go back to your thing. God said, this one will work. Let me go back to my schemes and my manipulation. That one, I'm sure it will work. That's your faith. So in the world of faith, you'll be challenged that you don't have faith. I have faith. They, they say, no, you don't have faith. I, have faith. I believe that Jesus died and this rose again. I believe. <laughs> then by the time judgment is done, you say, hey, Nana, I agree. I don't have faith. <laughs> yeah. That's what will happen. But you could do that here now, right? So you can then start making progress. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is the truth that you say in there? So Jesus said that he that had more shall be given, right? The more, see, in scripture, you have to understand the scriptures. More is not that a lot more. More is of higher quality, right? And the one that has is the one that applies himself to the truth that he knows. Then a higher quality of truth, which is truth in the spiritual beginning. But he that does not have, even what he has, which is just the mere knowledge of the truth, he shall be taken away. Because it's not yours. And you yourself, you know it's not yours. You know how it is taken away in judgment. So I'm going to say, hey, give me my truth, give me my truth. You know, you see how life can treat you uh, when you finish it in life, there is a challenge. You were tested six times. <laughs> <laughs> You failed all of it. Like, as you're lying down, you say, Charlie, nah, you failed six straight, zero. Has happened to you before? Like, life can die. You, you say you respond well. You say you did it. You say you yeah, have failed. You yeah, have failed all. That's how judgment is. You pass through things. Then you throw away the one. So if your truth is, your ship is sinking, your ship is sinking. You, what, what, what is in your ship? Uh, the, the truth that Jesus is Lord, the truth that love your neighbor, the truth that this, this, then what again is in your ship? Love yourself above all else. You are your own God. Yeah, yeah. Then you you say when the ship is sinking, you throw away Jesus is Lord, love your neighbor, you and then because you feel like love yourself, self-preservation, right? That's what will sustain. When the boat now is stable on the sea. Then you bring back. Oh, where is my love for the Lord and the neighbor? Where is my love? You bring it by say, ah, see me, I'm a Christian now. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. Hallelujah.